Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Novogratz, and this is Next with Nova. Guys, everyone, this is Mike Novogratz. It's Next with Novo. Couldn't be happier to have Anatoly Yakovenko. People call you Toly? Toly's <laughs> perfect. From the Ukraine. Every time I meet someone, I like to start and say, you know, tell me about yourself. Like, you grew up where? Origin story? Give us a little back or origin story. <laughs> yeah, b- born in the USSR, I guess, but uh, grew up in Illinois, Chicago area. So went to high school there, ended up in Illinois, studying computer science like 99, 2003. My advisor at the time so, told me that- Not um, nearly as exciting I was hoping for yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was not, hoping not, for like the Ukraine revolution and yeah. throwing punches and no. Uh, when, when did you migrate? How old were you? Uh, 90, 92 or 91. I can't quite remember at this point. But basically right after the wall fell, my, uh, my family got out. Gotcha. So you're a Chicago public high school kid? A bit in Chicago, then a bit out in the in the suburbs, St. Charles, if anyone knows where that is. Computer science guy. Yeah. Right through the dot-com crash, my advisor told me that computer science might not be a good career choice. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first job out of school? I um, So I had the startup in college that was doing like voice over IP, kind of Grand Central Dispatch thing. Um, we didn't have any business sense. But it was the same stack as Qualcomm was using for one of their things. And they hired me on the spot. So I went out to San Diego. California versus Illinois for a Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine. I, I, haven't been, I haven't been back to the Ukraine. And I only go to visit my, my folks during uh, the two weeks of the year in Chicago where it's not 100 degrees or zero degrees. <laughs> so, so when did you first stumble into crypto? And what sucked you in? Um, I remember when a kind of Bitcoin came out and, um, uh, some of my friends were messing around with it and I thought, well, I can build a GPU miner and somebody built that way faster than me. And then I thought maybe I can build an FPGA or an ASIC. And then that happened within like, you know, a few months later. So I, <laughs> I, I clearly remember there was a company that promised an ASIC for Bitcoin mining and they built it but they mined with it for six months before they gave it to, to anyone that pre-ordered. So that like <laughs> really, um, you know, showed me what crypto is all about. Don't trust anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is interesting because in some ways there's such beautiful communities that get formed and there are other ways there is this, you know, dog eat dog, you know, early on. Uh, and you still see it you still see kind of this weird hybrid between the beautiful communities where, you know, the white hats come in and give people their money back. Uh, but they're scamsters and fraudsters. And yeah, I guess just like a normal society. Yeah. Except it's global now, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. No, trust me. I, I have my identity not hacked, but I, you know, faked, you know, probably 10 times a week. There's, you know, f- fake Instagram, fake Twitter, fake something accounts. They change one letter. Yeah. Same yeah. bald, same bald head, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so your first real job in the, in the, the space was what? In crypto? Um, yeah. Really Solana. Um, so what really like kind of got me into it was 2017, you know, Bitcoin was going bonkers and a buddy of mine and I started building deep learning hardware that was mining crypto in the background. And that was our first foray into it. 
And that's when I started thinking about proof of work, why it's necessary, why it's cool, and literally had two coffees and a beer and came up with what kind of the, the initial idea of what became proof of history. Talk a, a layman through proof of history versus proof of stake, proof of work, proof of... Yeah, so uh, proof of work is a way to measure entropy, electricity. You got to burn electricity to generate, to solve proof of work. And uh, proof of history is just a way to measure time. So it doesn't take nearly as much energy, but you have to, you're forced to spend real time to do it. And that was really kind of like that, you know, mind blown eureka moment. <laughs> I couldn't sleep for like a week. And uh, it was important because I spent, a, you know, nearly 15 years at Qualcomm. Time division multiple access was the first wireless protocol for cellular networks. It's time is like this, this really core piece of optimizing those things. Um, so once I knew I had that, I was like, okay, so you can now build scalable blockchains. And that, that really what started it. You started 2017, really. Ethereum has blown up at this point. It's trading 800, 900,000. We have all these, what would be, you know, ETH killers being launched at that time from Polkadot and Cosmos and at least raising crowdfunding. You didn't crowdfund Solana. When did Too you scared. raise the first money for Solana? Uh, basically April, 2018 is when we closed like a 3 million seed round. And that was enough to right. get a bunch of my colleagues from Qualcomm, like principal engineers to like say, fuck it, <laughs> I'm going to go build this thing. So they joined you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Solana was the Qualcomm team basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and your funders were friends and family, crypto people. Uh, no, like, um, slow ventures, foundation capital, multi-coin capital. Um, oh, so you got classic crypto guys who got, yeah. who got Silicon pretty, Valley, <laughs> like crypto people. Yeah. I was going to call them lucky, but I guess we're all lucky. I mean, anybody who put any chip down between 2018 and now is pretty lucky. Some luckier than others, but, uh, but it was, um, the market was falling, right? Like ETH went from 1100 to like 600 and then down to 300. Everyone was terrified. (laughs) (laughs) That was a bottom, you know, that was like the start of a two year bear market that nobody, nobody knew that (laughs) everyone thought it was going to turn around any minute. And, you know, we were trying to build this thing as fast as we could, because we thought anytime at any moment, like the bull market's going to come back. So there was kind of no growth for like solid two and a half years. And crypto really didn't take off up until, you know, basically when COVID and, you know, Black Swan, March 12th, which is actually three days before we launched. Wow. <laughs> so we, wow. we launched straight into the abyss. <laughs> so, yeah, so you started, like, Black Swan happened, COVID happened. I remember sitting to my team and I was like, guys, this changes everything. And boom, we're off. We we had uh, basically just gotten the network in some stable form that we thought we could launch. And we had the coinless auction lined up and a bunch of exchanges wanted to list us. We didn't want to stop kind of the train. And there's validators that were already running it, kind of ready to go. So the at that moment, it felt like we could have just said, hey, this massive event happened and we need to stop and wait until the markets are better. Uh, but I, internally, I thought that the best time to launch was actually right after a massive crash. Cause you know, it's unlikely to crash again like that, right? You can never predict the market, right? It's impossible to predict. So if you're right after the cliff, might as well just go for it. And that in retrospect, the people that came in there during that auction, um, they got the sit, 
a better price than our last private sale. <laughs> they were the diehards, right? Who else is going to invest in, <laughs> in that time? What, were, what, um, what did they buy Salat at at that, at that time? 22 cents. 22 cents. People, you cut a bunch Salat at 22 cents and traded $200. <laughs> that, that might be the best trade of the year yeah, or two years. Yeah, it is. It is the best trade. There's some, some other good ones, but I don't think any is good as that. So, yeah, and we, the network really, like the growth came, I think, um, right around when we got started working with uh, Serum and FTX. That, that's really when the world kind of realized that there's something interesting here. And at that time, I thought, too, we had this moment, like, I don't know, three months, maybe six months, when... Nobody else was going to launch because they're terrified of this like catastrophe, macro catastrophe. So we had time to like build stuff and like get out there and get in front of as many people as we could with a live network while everyone else was still waiting. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the relationship with Sam Bankman fried with FTX. Uh, Sam is literally becoming a, a legend in the space. Uh, yeah. Funny, right? He's the accidental this, this, legend. This, <laughs> this was before this was before he ascended to Mount Olympus. Like he was still a mere mortal at the time. FTX was not <laughs> as big as it is today. And um, uh, we had this demo where you smash the keyboard, and every time you press the keyboard, you see a transaction fired to the network, and it being and it's confirmed in like one point two seconds at that time. And I was like, "Hey, look, it's live. It's smart contracts." And look, it's fast. <laughs> and he was like, "Okay, cool." Showed it to his engineers, and we noticed that the network was starting to have like a bunch of transactions. I guess people were using it and it was them like messing around with it. And um, we had a bunch of calls and they're like, okay, we wanted to build a exchange, uh, not like Uniswap, like a real exchange, but like what we know works. Uh, and this is the first network where we think it's possible. So let's just go build it. And from our perspective, what I really liked about working with Sam was that he didn't care about like the, the details. There wasn't any like managers or a lot of like deal making. It was just like kind of a handshake over the phone because we couldn't meet and like, let's go just get everybody together to build this awesome thing because no one's ever done built a central limit order book that was fully unchained before. No one's built that as a mechanism for DeFi. And um, he's got this like personality that shifts engineering timelines, stuff that we thought we're going to, was going to take months, took like weekends. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, so that, that was pretty awesome. So, and you know, at, at that point, um, his team, I think there's still just six engineers behind all of FTX. <laughs> uh, they built this thing in like four weeks and launched it and went live. And, um, we started seeing developers kind of recognize that there's something interesting, something new here, a new set of tools that they didn't have access to in any other chain. And that's really kind of kickstarted the whole ecosystem. Right. So let's, let me pivot a little bit. And I, I asked you this when we were having cocktails, when I was still drinking before I was on this damn 21 day non-drinking diet. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm fascinated with in this few months of level one explosion, right? Solana gets up to 200, but lots of level ones, right? Terra Luna, uh, Polkadot, Avalanche. There's been a, an excitement around level ones as the world realizes oh shit, crypto's not just an asset play. Crypto is a technology play. And the future of a lot of stuff, maybe the future of finance and consumer product and brands is going to be built on blockchains. And so most investors and most listeners 
don't really understand the difference between Ethereum and Solana and all the rest. And intuitively, there's this trade-off between speed and security, right? Speed and decentralization, speed and security. Talk a little bit about that and how you guys fit into that, right? Yeah. Listen, in the NFL, speed wins. Uh, it, it just yeah. always wins in football. And so, right now, <laughs> you guys are doing awesome. People are, I, I talk to developers, they're moving over to your, your, your network. But talk about how you think about those trade-offs. And so Vitalik came up with this thing called the trilemma, where you have performance, security, and um, decentralization. That's, that's the three triangles. And you kind of optimize for one or the other. And that, that constraint, that limit, applies to a network that doesn't uh, use more bandwidth than is available to it, right? So as long as, let's say, everybody in the world has one gigabit worth of internet, as long as everybody doesn't send or receive more than one gigabit, you're within the trilemma. But as soon as you want to do twice as much stuff, right, then you have to split the network and have two of them do it independently and then kind of trust each other, figure out some way to trust that, it, that they're not um, lying to each other. And that's a really hard problem. And this is what Ethereum has been working on for the last um, you know, four or five years. And this is ETH2 and their design with sharding and that, those systems. But... Because I spent my, a decade at Qualcomm, I can tell you that hardware moves really fast. <laughs> and uh, I started with two megabyte flip phones and ended up optimizing augmented reality in a, like a four gigabyte you know, phone in the span of 10 years. So this is, as soon as I saw this problem of scaling blockchain, I immediately looked up at a data sheet of what like a current day computer can do and how much cryptographic operations, I can shove through this thing per second. And at that time, four years ago, it was about a million per second on a modern day server. So I thought, okay, that means that this is competitive with, with something like NASDAQ, which is doing about half a million to a million messages per second. And censorship resistance is finance. It's the same thing as getting access to markets. So there's something interesting here for me, right? As a hardware kind of firmware guy. So this is really what I thought everyone else was going to kind of approach the problem the same way, kind of thinking about it. Can we make it this a problem for Intel, NVIDIA, and those guys? So we were kind of, you know, abstract the, uh, ourselves out of the way, build the software so it gets out of the way of the hardware. But I think we're the only team that is really as focused on that particular angle. So the main difference between... Ethereum, you know, Polkadot, Avalanche, Cosmos, Near, all these other chains is how they play this game of how one shard or one subnetwork or parachain trusts another one. And there's a bunch of trade-offs in design, and this is kind of what they've been focusing on. And Solana is one giant network. Everybody does the same work, but we heavily optimize and leverage hardware. So... In the span of our development, we went from needing four GPU cards to get to a million signatures per second to one that can do seven million per second. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so, so that, that kind of like, this is what I expected, right? Like the hardware is going to get cheaper. Uh, networks, data centers are going to get faster. And I think, we know, within a span of six years, we're going to be shipping a very boring box that plugs into whatever rack you have at your business and is like Cisco and then Solana and it does the blockchain and you don't really think about it <laughs> and it gets faster every two years, right? Because these guys are 
going to make faster chips and right, bigger the chips. Chip gets faster, right? Yeah. And so it's decentralized because you can have as many uh, different validators. Yeah, it's, we can have uh, we can have very large numbers. Obviously, there's limits, but on a one gigabit network, those limits are in the hundreds of thousands. Uh, it's just a matter of can we make this thing fast enough to process all the events, all the packets, and and be able to keep up with the network. So right now, I think it's um, at about a thousand plus voting and like 800 RPCs, so close to like 2,000 machines. You can think about it that way. Right. So last I saw was right before you had a uh, a glitch, the first kind of Solana glitch. Uh, I have to bet you were cool. You were cool as a cucumber. That was not the first one. <laughs> All right, the first one since you guys have been famous. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing, right? What is decentralization? Um, a lot of people talk about it in wishy-washy terms, but I'm an engineer. I look at it, what can I measure about it? So the way we measure it is how much does it cost to destroy every copy of the net, of the state? Because if you do that, then you totally destroy the network. And that's true for Bitcoin. It doesn't matter how much power it has. If I could magically snap my finger and destroy every copy of the Bitcoin ledger, it's gone. Right? So that's real decentralization. The how much how much power do I need to spend to destroy it? So right now there's roughly 2,000 of these independent validators, some businesses that run RPC nodes, some that vote. So when the network stalls, it uh, runs out of resources to be able to process all the information that people are throwing at it for whatever reason, right? It could be an exploit, it could be a denial of service. You only need one of those to basically restart it, throw away the, the state that's pending and then continue from that known point. So it's not a catastrophic event. And it kind of demonstrates what is the whole point of decentralization? Well, if you have many number of these copies and all of these are valid, then when something like this happens, it took our community like 17 hours to get their shit together and, and continue. They do this on the test net, like once a month, sometimes under four hours. This way, this, I think they were a little skittish because it's mainnet. <laughs> so you're like, what happened? Well, let's analyze it, right? So, but it's generally the idea that this decentralization is the final kind of fault tolerance. Like, how, how, does, how do these networks work? Well, it's people and the cryptography allows all these people around the world to quickly come to the right decision and verify that they came to the right decision altogether. And that's kind of the magic of it. So as the network grows, you know, it might get to 10,000 people or 100,000 people running these systems. I still suspect that if some, you know, oh shit event happens, that they can still continue. That's the whole point. Right. Is being able to give the people the tools to do so. So let me ask you the question. So, because a lot of people kind of conceptually think they understand blockchains, but okay. So we had 17 hours before you were like, okay, back up and running. Uh, yep. what, hap what happens in those 17 hours? Transactions just get backed up? They just drop, right? There's just nobody to pick them up and put them into blocks. Right. So from an application's perspective, from a user's perspective, it kind of looks like there was a 17 hours between blocks. And I made the joke on Twitter that Solana needs to, uh, has the fastest block time, 400 milliseconds, and the slowest, 17 hours. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're, a, if you're a business running on top of, Salada. Exactly. You're just like patience, people, patience, people, patience, yeah. people. You're, you're, yeah. And that, that's a serious thing, right? Because the promise of these systems is that they provide um, absurd reliability, that they never go down, they never, you know, get destroyed, they never get hacked. Security is actually easier to build because that's just 
making sure all the copies are consistent and you can make as many copies as you want. Uh, but reliability is a harder problem, especially when you're trying to maximize the performance. You know, you're, you're trying to like make this thing redline all the time <laughs> without, uh, without loss, you know, to, to availability. Um, so that, that's a challenging problem, but people have built much more complex things, 5G, LTE, all these things serve 4 billion people around the world. How did your community react? Like, well, I say your community, so they're the core developers, they're the people that have built on top of it, they're your investors, they're, like, what was the broad reaction? Any hate mail? <laughs> no, like, so we've, because we've had, like, our whole start, even to launch, has been the network constantly falling over. The first run was 20 minutes, then two hours, then a week, then a month, <laughs> and then, then it was running, um, and running under stress tests, and the community is kind of used to it. Like, um, so we had a lot of internal support and they just did what they're supposed to do. They, they ran a bunch of cons consistency checks and the way the recovery works is that there isn't some central organization that tells you, okay, everybody recover from this thing. It's that everybody runs a tool against their copy of the state, their ledger, and then they continue. And if everyone agrees on the results, the network continues running. And if 80% don't agree, it just, it's just halted. And then we got to do more work to figure out why. So in that sense, like people are just doing what they're supposed to do. And, um, you know, super supportive. You get a lot of flack from like the other tribes, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we take it in stride. We, we know, well, we still call it beta for that reason is that it's complicated building an operating system, a database. It's a 10 year proposition, right? It's like a lifetime of work. Um, and we're four years in. Let's talk about tribes for a second. I'm fascinated with how tribal crypto is. And as I sit as an investor and put bets on lots of tribes and comment on them, you know, I literally sometimes I'm a, I'm a hero of some ecosystems and I'm a complete foil or villain of others. And I get trolled all the time by, by, by certain ecosystems. I mean, 30, 40 times a day. How do you see the future playing out? I mean, we got brilliant people in this space, right? Like you look at what Vitalik and his group are doing at Ethereum or how do you see the blockchains? Is it going to be a world of coexisting blockchains or are there going to be some dominant? Like if you were just forecasting. My hope is that it's kind of, so I, I grew up kind of as a technologist in the Linux era, 90s. There, there were literally tribes around Linux file systems people that got so into the Linux kernel that they would fight each other on the internet because of one file system or another, <laughs> or because of one Linux distribution or another. I use Gantu and the, the people that use Gantu, people thought we're annoying because we're all, we're, we're all about optimizing this, this software. And it was just, um, it's funny, but I think it comes from this idea that when you have something kind of magical in your hand, you can't predict how powerful it's going to be you kind of have, it's almost religious, right? You're holding like an artifact. Is this thing going to be like so cool that it's just going to change everything? And you buy into it, just like people bought into the Apple kind of idea of personal yeah. computer and you become a fan of it and you like, it becomes part of your culture. So I think that's just a natural thing that happens during any paradigm shifting process. Um, we, we get enthralled with the idea of like, what could this change about the world? I hope it doesn't end up 
like most things where you have like one Android that's 99.99% of all Linuxes is Android <laughs> right. or, or one, right? Like one company that is the personal computer company like we did with Microsoft. I think that diversity, if we can maintain it, um, just it's just more fun, right? Like you get actually more more progress, more competition. And I think there's an opportunity where that's true because one huge difference around from this generation of builders is that everything is open source by default. Everything is open. It's a very collaborative environment. You know, I even though we argue on Twitter, private or not even privately, but like I love the folks building ETH too. Like we discuss like really hard, challenging problems like privately, like, hey, how does this work? How did you guys solve this? It's very much an open collaborative environment. So my hope is that that continues, that we can all still work on cool shit. <laughs> That's, that would be awesome. So NFTs, you know, in some ways, from where I sit, NFTs kicked off this mania for level ones, right? Because it was kind of the first thing that people could understand of, wait, this is going to live on a blockchain. Oh, I get it. So the blockchain isn't just for buying and selling coins. Uh, it can be art. It can be IP. It can be. It's insane. We, um, we built this kind of WordPress style open source, take the code and launch an NFT project thing called Metaplex. We incubated it. It's now like a separate company. And we're, I'm seeing about 10,000 new accounts like added an hour, basically. There's just wow. people minting NFTs. There's $700 million worth of NFTs now minted on Solana with like 70 million in, in volumes in, in, in a week. And these are just people trading basically images, memes, culture, right? Like, and there's no way I could have predicted this. Like, it, it's just like one of those things. Like, how can you predict that this would be a, a business model or, or like a thing? That's insane. That would yeah. be worth money. And uh, I think it comes, it, I think what I'm seeing, at least what I'm, what I'm believe I'm recognizing is kind of the, the birth of social networking on chain, like real grassroots, you know, crypto-based social networks. Because once people buy into one of these things and they become part of the, like, you know, they set it as their profile, it doesn't matter where they actually communicate. Is it in Discord? Is it in Twitter? Is it in Telegram? But you're kind of part of the monkey DAO. That's, yeah, that's who no, you trust are, me, right? I, <laughs> I am so, because I haven't picked my avatar yet, I'm sitting here completely you know, paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I'm frozen to decide which one it's going to be. I might create my own. <laughs> monkey MBS, man. Everyone's part of the monkey DAO, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that that I feel like, will it scale to 10 million people in one of these? I don't know, but it's might, right? It's possible. Or or maybe these are like bulletin boards in, in the early 90s where these communities are small, but they can't really grow to that 3 billion Facebook level of, of a network. But our goal, right, as a layer one, I'm just here to like unblock people. How do we make this thing as cheap and as fast as possible? How do we make sure that you know, there's like 90 million accounts on Solana right now. If they're adding 10,000 an hour. Um, how do we make sure it can go to a billion and then 10 billion, <laughs> right? Like yeah. that, that's, that's an engineer's job, right? That's what we're, you know, um, trained to do basically. Right. What do your parents think of all this? Um, do they still have a Ukrainian accent? Anatoly. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> 
they're yeah we, we my my russian is now like their broken english so we're we're having yeah. trouble communicating because <laughs> i'm forgetting right and, and they're um they started late um they don't like none of my nobody older than me gets it that's that's what i'm finding <laughs> i always tell people i'm the oldest guy in crypto but it's it is really a hard thing to keep up with and it's really hard to explain to you know 60, 70, 80 year olds, they're like, eh? <laughs> so how's your life changed? Now you've, you've gone from engineer, you know, working at Qualcomm, having a good, making a good living to now like, you know, entrepreneur, zillion, <laughs> zillionaire. Do you, do you, have you shifted the way your life lives or are you still the same guy? Um, mostly the same. You li at least buy a nice car? <laughs> Uh, got a, got a Tesla Model Y can fit seven <laughs> seats. It's not, nothing like exciting yet. Um, I just don't have time. Reality is that like, I'm trying to steer a complex technology problem and grow the user base at the same time. It's like, you know, early days when the PC market was taking off and it's, um, just like exhausting, but exciting, you know, that that's where, that's why I'm here. <laughs> and your core team is how big? It's like 70 people altogether of 32 engineers, half on the, the core database operating system part and half on the application level. And the community around it that works on the project, not projects on the project, but on the project itself, how many other people do you think that? Um, that's getting, I think that's getting into like a few thousand, you know, peripherally. A lot of core contributors that are working on the application side um, are not part of Solana. So they're folks out of Serum, out of Star Atlas, out of Phantom, like a bunch of these small small teams like Metaplex. They found their little niche with product market fit and they're iterating, but they're releasing a lot of the changes to the community so people can pick them, pick them up and reuse them. Um, so that true open source kind of lets all work together. It's happening and that, that to me is, you know, like, holy shit, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> if I had to pick a time one year, two year, three years, when you come back and you're like, whoa, it, it worked. Are we three years away? Um, when we get to a hundred million people that use self-custody keys on these chains for applications, for something, for NFTs, I don't care what it is. I think we'll be there. And that's, that's kind of like that moment in the internet when you had a hundred million people browsing and you saw Friendster or could pop up and you're like, okay, that's the model. Somebody's going to get it right. We're not quite there yet. Like not, not quite at that, at like, it's obvious that the, this is going to be the thing. So it's exciting because we're, I'm like, well, what is it going to be? <laughs> like, you know, I have like my ideas, but uh, I, you know, there's no way I could predict it. Awesome. Hey, so anything else you want to say? I always give guests free open mic. You've said a lot. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. Uh, plug uh, ignition hackathon, solana.com slash ignition. Our hackathons, we have one from a thousand, 3000 and 13,000 registrations. Like, this one, I think, is around 5,000, but more, way more engineers. So I think we should see hundreds of submissions. Um, so really excited about like what, what people are building. If you're not an engineer, just jump into Discord and talk to these folks and convince them to quit their jobs at Google and go start a crypto company. <laughs> this is the best time to do it. <laughs> you're all in. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> well, listen, I have enjoyed the heck out of this. I'm, you know, I'm proud of you. I think 
what you guys have done is awesome. Listen, I think you've got, we love the guys that jump and I know those guys are partners of yours and I see what Sam's doing. And so I think you guys have a, an awesome shot at it. And so we'll be cheering you on and watching and, uh, appreciate it. Appreciate all your time. Thank you so much guys. That's it for this episode of next with Novo. A big thanks to Tolly. We'll see you next week.